know. We'll get into discussing the book, which is fantastic, by the way. Um, I was able to, to blow through the uh, the advanced copy this week. Oh, thank you. Amazing. Thing? Yeah, I blew through. Damn. Yeah, Shut I read up. the first chapter. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting the audio book so I can listen to it while I work. Awesome. It's like right, awesome. right, right in my wheelhouse. So it was really, yeah. really fascinating, really well. That makes sense. And, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Excited yeah, to discuss it with you. It's very applicable Same. to this Same. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> shockingly. Yeah. Shockingly relevant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Dale, you want to uh, lead us Hi, in? internet. Does that like lead in wait, like that or? Wait. Yeah. Do. But like, wait. 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 Okay. I'm going to put all this in anyway. Yeah, I know you are. Hi, internet. <laughs> <laughs> hey internet welcome to episode two oh third, man the two, one thing i forgot to look at 239 239 of outreach factory the podcast where we look at the things that make people mad online and explain why they're dumb for caring uh i'm your co-host Derek bolin i'm your other co-host dale deruder and this week we're actually going to switch it up and do an interview with a guy who wrote a book because uh, we're adults <laughs> <laughs> Books, which, as we all know, are the form of media that Dale never uh, stops hey. dunking on people for reading. Dale, oh, it's this... funny. Yeah. Tobias, uh, one of the ongoing jokes we have on this podcast is I make fun of Derek for reading books. So I'm kind of <laughs> got egg on my face for actually getting an author <laughs> legitimately on the podcast to talk to. So nice. Uh, nice. We are we are joined by Tobias Rose Stockwell, the author of the forthcoming book Outrage Machine, uh, which is, uh, as we all know, uh, listeners of this podcast will understand that it is right in our wheelhouse looking at <laughs> uh, how the Internet has kind of evolved into this uh perpetual uh outrage factory to uh to crib the name uh of this this podcast uh and how they're they're leveraging people's anger to uh get more eyeballs get more clicks and how this isn't necessarily a, a new phenomenon tobias thank you for joining us thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here there's uh, i think a few few podcasts that focus so so tightly on the issue at hand so i'm i'm excited to be here yeah, That's awesome. you're, you're definitely preaching to the choir. Um, I would love to know, uh, just just starting off, like, what was your motivation for uh, writing this book? Yeah, so I've been tangling with this idea of, uh, of outrage on the internet for uh, for a little bit longer than most people. Um, I, have a, I have a kind of a weird backstory. And so far as I went viral when I was very young, uh, before kind of social media existed, before the internet had really uh, infiltrated most of our lives, um, and uh, yeah, if, if you'll if you'll forgive a, a quick a quick story here, uh, I oh hey, I be as long winded I... as you want. <laughs> awesome, great, great, great. Uh, yeah, when I was when I was twenty three, I was uh, traveling through Asia, and I met this monk uh, while I was backpacking through Asia, and I met this monk in Cambodia who was looking for help in rebuilding this. Uh, reservoir, this irrigation system, and I got sucked into this project that I thought would maybe take, uh, you know, two months of my life and uh, $15,000. Uh, but basically, I got kind of jumped by this monk who had this project. Um, and I wrote an email to friends and family, uh, kind of asking for help. And this email went strangely viral, um, because it was attached to a social network, um, that some friends had designed, um, my, uh, one of those friends went on to be one of the first engineers at Twitter. Uh, but this, this kind of process of, of going viral was a very strange thing. And that I had this kind of emotional plea to help this group of people, 
uh, in the middle of Cambodia. And this emotional plea actually was very contagious. And all of a sudden, I got this tremendous support for this project, which at the time felt like magic. It felt incredible, you know, the ability to 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 make something uh, emotionally yeah. sticky and then suddenly uh, allow for uh, for for kind of the the uh, the compassion and interest um and uh you know emotional support of many strangers to to come in um uh, on the heels of that so uh so yes yeah, so i was really enamored by this um and i when i moved back to silicon valley uh in uh in the early uh, late 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 uh, 2000s um the social web was just really coming online I had a lot of friends that were very early at these companies and uh there was this real euphoria around uh social media being this magical tool to help us see each other better than ever before right there was this kind of idea of of uh you know empathy uh empathy can change the world and if we if we just increase the quantity of empathy available to everyone using some tools like social media we can actually make the world a better place um sorry i just want to yeah so, but in so i don't want to um block up your flow or whatever but i just want to go back to the building the uh dam in cambodia because i don't want yeah. to just gloss over that because it makes you like the best guy who's ever been on this podcast and the most virtuous <laughs> so i kind of just want to gleam on some of that like live vicariously through your virtuousness and like in the first chapter of the book you cover how it went down and stuff and how and it's actually pretty interesting how you kind of were not understanding what was going on. And then once you realized what was going on, you're like, okay, I'll be a good guy here and I'll do this. So I really, I yeah, just wanted to point yeah. that out. So. <laughs> I'll double click on that for you. Uh, yeah. So basically <laughs> I, I met this, I met this monk uh, at, at uh, while I was in Cambodia and he was, he was like, come out and visit my village. Um, and uh, I'm like, sure. Why not? That sounds like a great opportunity. Going to go, you know, going to go get a community day in the countryside and, uh, you know, there's this well-beaten tourist path uh, mm -hmm. for backpackers throughout Southeast Asia. And um, so, yeah, so I, 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 you know, felt like, what, what do I have to lose? I, you know, I'm a backpacker. I'm 23 years old. What can I do? Um, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go out and see this guy's village and see what it's like. And and then when I got there, they had, they brought me this little pagoda, put me in this pagoda, uh, sat me down in a bamboo mat. There was uh, a friend that was there with me at the time. Um and they basically, one by one, there was common council, village elders, hundreds of people there. And one by one, they got up and said, thank you for coming. We've been waiting for you. Uh, we have this project uh, and it's a reservoir. Thank you for agreeing to help us rebuild this reservoir. And I was like, uh... <laughs> When, when sorry did what I sign up for that? <laughs> yeah. yeah you're like exactly. i didn't read the fine print you're gonna have yeah, to go right, back right, right. i just signed a contract somewhere along the way uh <laughs> yeah um no it was so it was it was yeah it was quite a shock um and uh yeah these these monks you know i, I felt like you know instant skepticism rising in my chest and mm -hmm. uh um you know like okay cool like what like first of all i'm a backpacker i have no funds i'm no trust fund i'm like i'm you know barely yeah. gonna visit, finish my uh backpacking trip with uh with my bank account balance above zero and uh you know i'm not an engineer i don't have an engineering background uh and uh but but these monks were very persistent they're like no you're mm -hmm. going to help us do this and i'm like mm, i don't think so but like <laughs> hang on pause pause like yeah. i will at least be i can be an advocate on your behalf and they you know they mm -hmm. brought us around to this to this uh this reservoir and this reservoir was huge like it was it was i mean it was basically a, a dry sad uh rice field at the time but mm -hmm. it was quite large it was about half a kilometer to a side oh, wow. um 
and uh yeah so not it's not like a little kind of like pond like drinking pond yeah. it was actually like quite uh quite a large uh, like structure. you're thinking it, in your head one of those cute little water wheel ones where there's like a little creek and then you totally giant <laughs> yeah. reservoir no 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 yeah it was not like that at all uh mm. it was very 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 big <laughs> um uh <clears throat> and yeah would have been i think you know had i known it beforehand would have been a pretty yeah. large project for any kind of local municipality even uh so mm -hmm. it was way outside of the scope of what one person uh or even one like group of people one small group of people would be able to accomplish yeah. i think um and their 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 money the you know what they were scoping was fifteen thousand dollars to do this thing um and like maybe two months maybe two months of work and fifteen thousand mm -hmm. dollars and they could and we could do it uh it ended up being quarter million dollars just for the, oh, wow. the structure of the Watergate itself. Um, mm -hmm. And it ended up, uh, I ended up living in Cambodia for almost seven years. So uh, working on this project. Um, and yeah, in that, in that process, like the, the, <laughs> the connective tissue that brought me there mm -hmm. um, was this kind of fascinating escalation of commitment in which, you know, I think I realized very like very quickly after mm -hmm. I sent that email to my friends saying basically like, Hey, look, there's these monks. I met these monks. They have a real project. Uh, 6,000 people in their community are looking for help with their irrigation system. Uh, we can do it. I, I think it's possible to do it, but like, yeah. but like, I'm, you know, like I'm not, I'm not going to be the person to do it, but I think they just need like $15,000. That's like a car, right? Like that's like a cheap yeah. car. And like, that's, that's like not an insane amount of money. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so it felt, it felt like a reasonable, a reasonable ask, um, you know, amongst, amongst like kind of my extended community to do mm -hmm. this thing. And what, what came from that email, uh, and it went, you know, I sent out these missives regularly to friends and family. And, uh, this one particular email, uh, was part of a, it went to this kind of group, what we today maybe call a group, a group, a group text or a Facebook yeah, was group. was this like an um, RS feed? I read about it in the book and I was like, I didn't really know what it was and I'm not the yeah. most tech savvy guy. So I was just like i'm sure other people will understand this so i'll just totally yeah it. so it was a bespoke social network it was it was mm -hmm. so a bunch of my friends uh in california where i grew up uh we went to a bunch of like kind of underground music uh events pretty regularly back in the day and uh oh. so it was a collective of of uh people that like to go to these music events uh and there was a i mean yeah, it was it was it was it was like a, a pretty tight-knit community of people that that uh were purveyors of kind of electronic music uh, back, okay. back in the uh the early 2000s um and uh and so uh, and a couple of my friends in this community were developers uh, uh and uh they had built this site um which literally if you look at today you'd be like oh no that's like that's that's basic Facebook. That's basic Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, had profile pictures. That had profile information. Um, everyone was linked up in this common common thread of of nodes. Um, uh, you know, one to one connections. Uh, and it the community was about two hundred and fifty people. Um, oh, cool. And if you know, if you're familiar with uh, with with Dunbar, uh, are you are you do you know who Robin Dunbar's Dunbar is? Number? Yeah, exactly. Yes, one hundred and fifty, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's between one hundred and fifty and yeah. two hundred and fifty, roughly. It's like it's depending on what uh, what what you know what range you're talking let's in let's just give that a uh, quick explanation but... sorry i don't want to interrupt yeah. i just like a lot of like i don't want to be like oh no, dunbar's cool. number and then people totally. who are the equivalent of me with the tech stuff who don't know what dunbar's yeah, get, number get is. outraged on the internet yeah. and post something in your comments <laughs> and yeah totally yeah uh, yeah so uh robin dunbar uh he's an anthropologist who studied uh who studied the cranial size of primates and correlated that directly with 
group size, so average group mm -hmm. size. So uh, basically, our brains have a limited volume. Uh, you can think about it. Our brains have a limited volume for maintaining close relationships, right? Yeah. And these these things scale down to we have like five, basically five slots for close uh, relationships in our lives, for very, very extremely close relationships in our mm -hmm. lives. And that scales up five to 50 to 100, 150 to 200. And there's, you know, there's a, a bit of a, a sliding scale there, depending on the on the group and the context. But, but, uh, but we really can can uh, the the optimal kind of group size for maintaining uh, uh close social connections in a larger group is uh yeah between 150 and 250 and uh you you can't if you go above that you just start forgetting people you start you start forgetting people's names it's 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 hard for our brains to actually kind of maintain that connection so yeah. um robin dunbar did the same study on this back in the day and it actually was a, a study that kind of launched a thousand startups in silicon valley and you can see uh, across the across the social graph of social media you can see these clusters of of around that like 150 250 people mm -hmm. malcolm gladwell talked about in the tipping point back in the day um this being this kind of like key number for organizations that were trying to maintain cohesion within smaller groups because you can't have fifty thousand people and just like open flat communication you need to have these smaller groups also it correlates with uh with uh, certain military hierarchies too so if you have a oh, really? I, I think it's uh yeah so a platoon is 50 i believe right anyway i'm, okay. I'm gonna get this wrong but but I, there's the, it does actually correspond pretty well and uh, to to yeah. uh, military sizes for well, optimal cool. group size. Um, so anyway, so this group of my friends was yeah mm -hmm. like between 200 and 250 people, uh, but they were all people that were very passionate about uh, about staying connected. And this this one particular project, uh, this email hit them, uh, and it was and it was like in its own way kind of an emotional plea. I was I was like pretty touched by the monks desire to do something for their community cambodia suffered through what was truly one of the most horrific oh, yeah. uh things that has happened in the last century uh in terms of like uh per capita loss of life i think it it overtakes mm -hmm. uh world war ii in in terms of uh in terms of conflict yeah like i think if anybody wants to the get country. bummed out go watch that what was that movie the bridge the over killing the river fields Hawaii, or the killing fields yeah the killing fields yeah yeah, yeah, yeah watch yeah. that movie Whew. yeah it's a it's, tough one that's a fun, like, definitely. You you'll yeah. watch that and you'll be like, oh, I want to give money to these monks to build a dam too, even though it's already built. Totally. I just want to yeah. send them money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh so yeah, that that was an emotional plea. And it went out and I, you know, mm -hmm. I felt very strongly for these monks. These monks, like this this guy, uh, you know, one of these guys, one of these monks, he had he, you know, lost most of his family uh during the the violence. And it was this strange, it was a strange sort of thing that happened in Cambodia. It wasn't it wasn't like one uh it wasn't two two countries fighting. Uh it was it was related to the Vietnam War for, for one. So that you know, conflicts tend to spread. Uh, yeah. you know, conflict in one place will go to another country, oftentimes like Iraq, Syria, that kind of thing. But so that you can think about Vietnam, Cambodia as being our parents' generations or Iraq, Syria, right? That was mm -hmm. like literally, the, I think the way they thought about it, it was this conflict that, that, uh, you know, a lot of people served in um, and that had these just horrific uh, implications for, uh, for decades to come after that. So Cambodia was in a civil war. It was this, this kind of auto genocide in which, in which there was this hyper, like this super extreme uh what you might call like call out culture in which in which people were uh were extremely culturally indoctr indoctrinated um kids were like were, were forced to be the executors literally like they would actually be forced to kill people um mm -hmm. like child soldier style um it was really it was really dark it was really dark and it was dark for a long time it was dark so the Khmer Rouge um which was the the rebel group that took control of the country they were in power uh 
for only about five years, but they uh, they decimated the country. They defrocked and country. They just did a lot of really messed up stuff, and it was this really extreme form of uh, of communism. So without getting too deep into that, but it yeah. was it was very dark. Uh, and it mm -hmm. was dark up until even the 90s. People were still getting like killed and kidnapped, and and it was there was still fighting that was happening there. So, this community needed that help, uh, and they were looking to a random, you know, dirty backpacker uh, like me to somehow help them. Um, and you know, who knows what they saw in me? But like, I would argue, you know, that what they did see was that I was ostensibly connected, right? I was connected mm -hmm. to a wider world of people that um, even if I didn't have any money, I, I was, I had this wealth of connection to other people. Kind and, of like uh, a lifeline to the world almost. Yeah, totally. And that's yeah. kind of what it feels like when you walk. I mean, if you've, if you spent much time in the, you know, developing country, when you really go start to go off the beaten path, you start to realize kind of our interconnection to the, like the wealth that our connection provides, like just the fact that we are connected by a thread to, um, you know, the broader economy, the broader like information network that we share. Um, all of these things are, are tremendous uh, reservoirs of wealth for us. Um, uh, and also, you know, as we're learning, they're also uh, tremendous liabilities, I think, for uh, for a lot of reasons. But uh, but yeah, so so I was able to to engender a huge amount of support. I all of a sudden had this, you know, I sent this email out. All of a sudden, I had this kind of cascade of support coming in from friends. People like, this is amazing. How can I help? Um, mm -hmm. And that was great. It was amazing. You know, it was it was cool. All of a sudden, I'm like, okay, maybe I can actually do this. You know, maybe this is something I can do. Maybe yeah. I am that guy possibly right like if, <laughs> if i can if if i can send an email and get you know 50 people to to like you know express tremendous mm -hmm. uh interest and support then maybe i'm that maybe i'm that guy if so, i was um, you, i would have been so beyond arrogant at that point being like i did this this is all thanks to me i'm pretty much the king of the world right now <laughs> so i like that you're like maybe i can be that guy where i would have been like yeah let's do more let's yeah. do this <laughs> the damn right Right, right. So, uh, yeah, at the at the end, I will just say, like, through this kind of process of es escalation of commitment and this like extremely frustrating uh, mm -hmm. project, which again I thought would take two months and ended up taking almost seven years, uh, it was like a very intense experience. I, I, uh, you know, I, I started an organization around this project. Um, I was really interested in helping people connect to various projects like this in the future. Like, I was trying, I was, I, I could see that there was this, like possibility to connect people online towards compassionate mm -hmm. causes, and I thought that was like, such an incredible thing. The project itself, like it was completed. We re built this reservoir. There's now a, a, a big old reservoir in Cambodia called Trout Reservoir um, that uh, that myself and a bunch of other people helped build. I, so, and the reason I, I I don't feel like comfortable in taking, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the you know the 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 prow of the ship kind of <laughs> I did this uh, moment yeah. uh, on it uh, is because it really was a volunteer effort. And like when you you know when you activate a community like that, uh, you know, I, we brought in some incredible uh, volunteers uh, to work on it. I had a bunch of engineers come out from this group called Engineers Without Borders that was incredible. So it was it was really this collective collective effort to work on this project. We found landmines. That was a big problem. We oh, had to mine this entire area. So it damn, damn is right. <laughs> um <laughs> God, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um forget that joke. I uh, <laughs> yeah. it's been it's been uh, uh embedded in my brain uh from working on a, a dam for, for so many uh, years. Uh, but yeah, so so anyways, this this kind of connective process of the of this connective uh, power of the internet was something that I was really uh, deeply fascinated with. And so when I when I finished the project, I moved back to uh, back to the Bay Area where I grew up. 
and I connected with all these um, these designers and developers who were also very interested in this same process of basically getting people connected online for the purposes of compassionate action, for the purposes of of getting people kind of riled up about causes, about like ending poverty, about bringing war criminals to justice, about uh, you know about about solving hunger, all of these things were which seemed very like no brainers for us. It was like duh, like we can solve these problems now. We have the internet. You can see the problems. You mm-hmm. have the internet. You can see the problems, so we can solve them. Like people have just yeah. not been aware of them uh, in the past. And so um, this cohort that I was a part of was pretty much at the advancing edge of this very strange new trend of uh, of kind of uh, activating people online. And uh, I don't know if you remember this video called Coney Twenty Twelve. Oh, I remember. Oh, do I? Do ever? Ever? Yeah, <laughs> it's great. We, uh, yeah. So yeah, we had a mutual discuss friend who was there? like. Coney 2012 guy and he like wouldn't stop talking about it for like a year and we're like yeah okay. yeah. yeah so <laughs> Coney 2012 was like that was that was my extended network there was a bunch of my friends that did that um and that was the most viral piece of content in history up until that point like truly it was the most viral thing that mm-hmm. had ever been created by human um and it's I think it is still is the most viral piece of content above a certain time frame it's like above a certain uh oh length, length. It's, a, okay. it's a 23 minute video I think and it's yeah uh, has over 100 million views so quite a quite a strange and wild thing also i think a, a fantastic representation of just what the internet does when something goes super super viral mm-hmm. it you know huge interest tremendous support and then exploded in this kind of uh you know this shower of conspiracy and scorn around mm-hmm. what was actually happening or these guys actually doing the thing and and it really was kind of the first i think the first uh the first viral moment in which we saw the continuum of what we were going to see in the, you know, in the decades after mm. with, with every single major kind of motivational, uh, uh, you know, kind of emotional thing that happens on the internet, which is, it, you know, if it, it's like a big coordination problem, right? You see, you see everyone, everyone gets excited about something and there's like, there's huge collection, collective ash, action. And this happens in the, you know, with a news item, uh, any major conflict that you see in the world these days, right? It's like, people are really excited. Like, Ukraine, uh, you know, what, it doesn't really matter what it is, but there's this, there's this tremendous kind of COVID was a great example of this. Everyone's like, oh, we need to come together and solve this problem. This is really important. And then through this kind of like life cycle, it explodes into this this uh, online conspiracy and scorn, and people aren't aren't sure what to think because there's not there's not a good resolution mechanism, right? There's yeah, not like the the system continues to spin um, after the viral moment, and there's not uh, there's not a system for for it. Uh, to 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 resolve like we don't get one narrative we get 50 at the end of it um so anyway so long story short i i've been i've been uh, i've been sitting with this kind of strange superpower of mm-hmm. of virality i'm trying to understand it for quite a long time and uh uh you know i was i was i started writing about this stuff in the lead up to the 2016 election i could really tell this was starting to go off the rails around then and oh, i yeah. wrote a couple of viral articles that um you know viral articles about again <laughs> virality uh that uh that i think were they struck a chord on trying to kind of identify this issue that we were starting to tangle with at that point in time um and since then yeah the book has been uh my kind of full-time project for for a number of years now so this has been a i've been really trying to get something down that is well-researched, uh, interesting, approachable, and that is helpful to the current kind of in- insanity of oh, our of our uh, of our culture and internet. It must and have I would, been, I would, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Derek. 
Oh, thanks, Dale. Uh, I would, I would definitely say that you've like, I, I feel like this book is, is almost, and I'm not just kissing your ass because you're on our podcast, but like, it's, it's almost, (laughs) it, it feels like something indispensable that people should read just to gain a better understanding of like the mechanisms that are being used to elicit reactions from them because maybe it's just the circles I travel in, uh, but I, I feel like I cannot log log on do people still say that i can't go on the internet these days without um without seeing any discussion devolve into a like shouting match over conflicting points of view or like things being used to uh to generate controversy or generate conflict and we have all these these issues that um that at one point it felt like we had uh move past gay gay rights is an example right and all of a sudden now we're seeing you know people are are emboldened to burn pride flags again and we're having all these uh yeah. these controversies over uh the lgbtq community and um the story you told about the cambodian dam harkened back to a time when like that was the promise of the internet right we could harness Definitely. harness the 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 collective good of people and like channel it towards action so how did we get from there to where we are now yeah yeah great i mean yeah great great uh great placement i think in in uh in in space and time here yeah uh so uh so it, it turns out uh that the internet does some very strange things uh to our brains um uh, specifically, social media does some very strange things to our brains. And there was three features that were rolled out at social media companies uh, between the years 2009 and 2012 that uh, that I believe fundamentally are like kind of the core engine of mm-hmm. the the spin out. There's and the internet is this you know is, is such a wide ranging uh, you know uh, uh, machine with so many different pieces in it. So it's kind of difficult. To, to uh to, to to focus in on just on just one or two specific features but i do think that if you look at how uh how things changed um how our emotional attention began to be so fragmented um, and how emotions themselves began to become so contagious online you can look at these three specific features that were rolled out with little fanfare uh, at social media companies uh starting in 2009 uh, those features are uh, the algorithmic feed so the rank ordering of content that um, is not reverse chronological, but it's ordered by engagement by an algorithm, um, which we're all familiar with, I think, today, right? Most people know that their oh, yeah. their feeds don't come uh, come uh, chronologically anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, social metrics, so that's the visibility of of metrics like likes, uh, comments, shares, just that visibility, the visible mm. number next to the content that we share, um, which which is this very strange uh, dynamic, which makes you want more of it, and which is a huge status symbol. Um, and then the final feature is the one-click share, the the instant share. So the the single button that you press to pass it to your entire. Oh network. yeah. Um, so so each one of those features um, on, on their own, they made a lot of sense for uh, for developers to deploy, and they also made a lot of sense for uh, for users because users like them, right? I, I, for algorithmic feeds i really like the idea of not having to scroll down through all the noise to see uh the one important post that my friend did uh while i was offline five hours ago right we want we want some ranking around that it makes sense Mm -hmm. for me as a user um and for developers it made sense because they could keep people on site longer and keep people uh keep people scrolling longer right um 
the so social metrics. Also, one of these things where it's like it's like a like just the like button. I mean, it's crazy to think that this this actually like this was a thing that was invented, right? Is like is like a button yeah. that was invented that that is now such a part of our such a part of our kind of ecosystem and and uh, engagement online. It's just a, a wild wild thing to mm -hmm. think. Oh no, that button actually literally did not exist. Uh, you know, it didn't exist 15 years ago. They did not. There was not this button to press to like something online. That did not that did not exist. Um, uh, but the original intentionality of that was, you know, it was created by Justin Rosenstein and others, which was to to uh, give more positivity to the world. That was this is his quote on it. He, it's hilarious wanna... that they intended for the like button to be a positive thing and just like have this mass outpouring of positive like emotions totally. to everybody that just yeah. did the exact opposite. Yeah, I mean, it's and look for a while, and just to give you know some credit to the mm -hmm. uh, to the you know the the parcels who have uh, spent so much time designing these tools and now racking their their brains and their hearts about what is done to society. Uh, you know, for for a while after even after it was deployed for years after it was deployed, I think there was nothing but positivity associated with these yeah. things. Insofar as like people really liked it. Mm -hmm. no no pun intended <laughs> uh, people really uh really enjoyed using these tools and it's like a great signal like a like is cheap for me to give to you but it means a lot mm -hmm. when you receive a like right it's a it's like a it's like oh that person that person that i care about they they liked they like me they like something i did you know and that's it's very inexpensive and it um you, you you just looking on the surface it would seem to be some you know some uh some basic uh you it would seem to have some some kind of fundamental positivity to it so so i want to i want to put a uh, like a, a little bit of a uh um you know try not to look back on it with such uh such uh you know extreme uh uh you know 20 uh, hindsight 2020 vision yeah, uh, on yeah. this stuff but um so, yeah. so something strange happens. Just say, like, just for in terms of social metrics, something strange happens when uh, when you are in one of these systems. When you're in a system, when you're in an engagement uh, system like this, when someone is liking your content, you're posting content, and then someone is liking that content or not liking that content. Mm -hmm. um, what that actually does is is it it, it starts to train our brains to uh, to be. So there's this there's this psychologist named B. F. Skinner. If you guys maybe heard of him at some point in time, he uh, he made this thing called a Skinner box, what he called a, a operant conditioning chamber, in which he would put uh, uh, animals into it. He put like a pigeon into it, a rat into it, and flash a light, and there would be a um, a button to press. And a, if the button, if the animal pressed the button, then they would get a food pellet. But they wouldn't get a food pellet consistently. They would actually get a food pellet at random intervals. And they found that the random intervals of getting the actual re reward, if it was consistent reward, the animal got bored and would walk away. But if a consistent reward, then the animal went a little crazy. It goes a little bit nuts because it gets mm -hmm. addicted to the process of pressing the button. So it'll start pressing the button faster. And it'll like, try to keep pressing the button to try to figure out the pattern of what is coming, uh, what, what is going on behind the machine, right? So mm -hmm. that's actually what we created with social metrics inadvertently. We created a Skinner box, which is this, this, this addictive machine. So there's another industry that figured this out a long time ago. Uh, it's a gambling industry, slot machines. There's a oh, fundamentally yeah. the same exact mechanism. You'll see this this mechanism in a lot of online games, a lot of games in general, which is like you'll uh, you know, the idea of farming in these games, it's like yeah. you're not sure what you're gonna get if you like go out and uh, you know, like in Zelda, when you're hacking the bushes and seeing what you're going to get, or opening a chest, you're not sure what you're going to get. Loot crates, same thing. It's the same. It's the same dynamic that is deeply addictive to our brains. And so they stumbled upon this with a like button with social metrics, um, and it also is deeply interrelated to our uh, our desire for uh, social status. So that's a big portion of it as well.
Okay. And then finally, <laughs> yeah. a long, longer, the finally, the one-click share, uh, mm -hmm. that is that is what allowed for all of our content to go instantaneously viral. And there's something really weird that happens when uh, when we when we click share on something when we're emotionally when we're emotionally respond we emotionally respond to something and we instantly click share. Usually, the type of content that we share fast is stuff that tends to be inaccurate emotional mm. uh outrageous uh it's it, it, it tends to uh, lacking context it's the kind of content that is is much more oriented to what uh the what dan Kahneman calls system one thinking it's like the kind of really fast thinking heuristics okay, where it's just yeah. like very emotional versus slow thinking which is more reflective and deliberative and stuff so so the the um the one click share has basically made this impulsive emotional uh content spread far far faster and more widely uh mm -hmm. than ever before and so those three features together um i think fundamentally trans transitioned us from this kind of more like static like oh, i'm gonna go on the internet and see what's going on today to like i like i just got this notification i'm gonna send this out to my friends and it's just changed the entire tenor and relationship that we've had with this uh with this tool set yeah it's like it's almost like it went from like oh let's go see what's going on to did you see this shit exactly yeah. no exactly yeah no that's exactly right yeah 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 it's funny um when you're saying like how people share stuff that's inaccurate and stuff it's like i always feel like social media is like if weekly world news would have won the newspaper wars because it was like it's like this totally. like bat boy and stuff like my grandma always yeah. got those magazines our newspapers and we were like does she think this is real and we could never actually tell and like yeah. on social media a lot of the time you're like do people think this is real or do they like are they in on the joke and get that it's like satire type of thing yeah. so it's like sometimes when people are sharing stuff that's obviously not true you're like what is it do they know yeah so it's just right. like weird questioning thing yeah, I mean, and you're you're bringing up, I think, a really uh, important point, which is that the dynamics of social media are not actually like, while while the infrastructure and connective capacity of it and the way the scale is fundamentally different, um, the actual dynamics are really not super. They're not new insofar as like we've we've mm -hmm. been dealing with a lot of these same issues for uh for a long time since the beginning of the penny press back in the early 1800s and oh, i go yeah. into a pretty like a, a, a portion of the book and talk about like how we went from this kind of salacious gossipy fake news world of of uh of penny papers back you know uh mm -hmm. almost 200 years ago um and turned it into this and turned it into this like kind of organ of journalism which is really important so and like that we we historically trust um and uh and yeah so we we've definitely been dealing with these issues for a long time um mm -hmm. in other other degrees so and you're absolutely right it's like it's like basically <laughs> the algorithm is yeah it is it's weekly, weekly world news algorithm that's what we're running with right now so uh, you're, yeah. you're you're right on that yeah, <laughs> yeah on um i listened to a other podcast you're on back in may 26 last year uh, metamuse and on there you said you got to treat your algorithm like a dog do you want yeah. to kind of yeah, expand totally. on that a bit That's yeah it's a good sure. point yeah yeah so uh and you know this 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 may be a short-lived uh <laughs> point because uh, ai is quickly uh quickly becoming extremely extremely smart uh mm -hmm. to, to a degree that our algorithms i, I think are are, are, are uh, you know achieving above dog level of intelligence pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. um 
but uh, but yeah, so so you know, a recommendation algorithm is is working with rules and is working with particular weights, and it's trying. It's like you can try to th you think about a recommendation algorithm like a dog, which is like it, it's bringing you things. It's playing fetch with you on a regular basis, going out, bringing you things that it thinks you want on a regular basis, right? Um, and it has a set of defaults based on what it can see. And this this dog is it's a weird kind of autistic dog, right? It doesn't know mm -hmm. it, it can't really read human. Uh, it can't it can't oh. read things about you that you really like deeply want. It's only looking at kind of the signals of your behavior and that and the 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 um the bullet point items about your your personality and, and, and who you are, right? So it's 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 really a strange it's like also kind of immune to shame. Right. And is immune to, uh, <laughs> right? of course it is. It is right. the internet. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you can't, you can't really scold it, uh, in the same way that you would maybe a dog and the dog would like rethink its whole relationship with life. Mm. Uh, it's it, the, the algorithm is, is, but it, it is actually tracking your preferences. And so what I do with YouTube on a regular basis, and like, this is actually a fun thing if you, tr if you try it with YouTube. So we, we tend to think that we all have, you know, we all have kind of different YouTubes. We have di like different algorithms. We know we have different TikToks. We know we have different kind of Facebook feeds. But um, if you go to a, uh, I do, I like to do this depending on where I am, the location of where I am, because you can actually find really interesting things about what the algorithm thinks about your zip code. Because uh, so if you open up a private browser yeah. um, and then you, and you log into YouTube, and you'll see the kind of stuff it, it serves you. Um, it, it's trying to figure out who you are based on the limited parameters it can see of you because it has this very limited view into, okay. uh, into it has like, it can basically see your location-ish, but not even, they can't see like your your specific, you know, your specific location because your location-ish. So it, it, it tends to show really dumb videos because it's trying to reach the widest possible audience. Oh, uh, okay. like lowest common denominator. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, exactly. Lowest common okay. denominator, exactly for the for the uh, for the audience range. So, mm -hmm. so it's a fun it's a fun thing to kind of just open up a a, a a browser and see what what it's doing, and then it's trying to read you from that point based on the the you know the the what you click and instantly from that point. And most of us have a pretty robust relationship with these algorithms at this point in time because we've been using them for such a long time, mm -hmm. and they really know they have a huge amount of data about us. Uh, but they also get caught in these what you can call kind of local minima, which is this. This like the yeah lowest common denominator of something that you'll click on, but you didn't really want to click on it, right? It's not it's not oh, like yeah. speaking to the things that you really want in the world. It's actually just it's like it's like I don't want to be this the person that that clicks on this, but like I did. I was tired and I was hungry and I and I clicked on it, you know. And I watched mm -hmm. that like that those four Avengers clips or something like that. Now it's just going <laughs> to keep on sharing those Avengers clips with you being like, this person likes the Avengers. So we're going to, every day when you wake up, we're going to give you these Avengers clips. And, um, and so that's, that's like, you can kind of think about it like that. So what mm -hmm. you can do, you can actually train it in so far, like most of these algorithms and TikTok is actually a bit more sophisticated than this, unfortunately. Um, and I say, unfortunately, because it's starting to kind of reach that point of, of, um, uh, of velocity it's like it's gotten the algorithm of tiktok is so good it's so good that it can it can just read the microscopic slowdown of your of your vision oh, as you're yeah. scrolling you know the micro of your scrolling as you're going going through a particular mm -hmm. top uh, um video and be like oh okay cool we're gonna we know that you know this person likes thirst traps even though they, they didn't <laughs> say they didn't want thirst trap but they're they're gonna we're they're yeah. gonna respond they're gonna keep watching if they give them the thirst trap yeah. Um, but but things like Facebook and uh, and uh, YouTube at this point in time at least and these things are constantly changing but at this point in time have a dot 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 a lot of them next or a, like a, a button next to the content that's showing you you can click it and it'll say 
show me less of this or I'm not interested. Okay. And you can actually aggressively, I, I do this all the time. It's obviously pruning my algorithm or like mm -hmm. booping my algorithm on the nose, on the, on the nose of the, with the, um, newspaper is saying like, yeah. nope, like go and get me the useful <laughs> stuff. I don't want this. I don't want this. And I have to do it like, you know, uh, once every two weeks. And it actually starts giving me the, the kind of content that is more valuable uh, to my life. And like YouTube, I think is one of these, if you look at the, the, these regret matrices that they have about social media and regret is a really important mm -hmm. uh, emotion when it comes to our use of social media. If you look at these regret ma matrices, YouTube is one of these places that we actually have kind of the least regret about weirdly yeah. it's like it's just on the cusp but it's like it's like some, like <laughs> almost like just just a majority of people say they don't regret their time on youtube so uh <laughs> yeah so it, and there there is tremendous value and tremendous uh you know um uh useful usefulness utility out of it i i feel like sometimes i'm like working on a project around the house and i'll be like i feel like it's the matrix moment where neo's like i need to learn how to you know fly a helicopter and you like go on youtube it's just like a slowed down version of that right oh, you're, yeah, like, you're like exactly. i need to figure out how to like do a concrete drill into a ceiling and hang some something or other and like you know and you're out out for a few minutes Watch and a 20 you, minute video yeah exactly 20 minute video and then you got it so it's um, funny so, i uh I had this convert this exact conversation with my I have a nine year old son the other day and I was talking with him about the things he watches on YouTube and I was trying to explain to him that there's an entire world like anything he could possibly want to know or learn about there's a video for it on YouTube and he looked confused he's like I've never seen any of that on YouTube and I had to be like well. <laughs> here is why because it's based on everything you've interacted with in the past right right, mm -hmm. right. yeah totally. Yeah, so I I do think there's a there, it's, it's it's good to use these as tools and not as TV, right? And that's like that's like a little bit that's of like you want to you want to push push it toward tool and away from mm -hmm. TV, uh, because they kind of have their own agenda and they will pull us in really strange directions for sure. Yeah, and I yeah, find a I'm, lot of times I have to instead of just picking like on YouTube specifically, like your son, he's probably picking videos that are like the one that he already watched. Whereas I find after I search some specific things I want to look at, like the pyramids or something, then I'll get more pyramids. So it's like like you were saying, like pruning one way to add, like pruning things off of your algorithm. One the best way to add stuff into it is just search stuff that you actually like. And then that'll like get in there and I don't, it probably gets ranked higher, right? Cause it's stuff you specifically searched for. Yeah. A, a little bit. I mean, it's not, it's not, mm -hmm. it's looking for stuff you search for, but that's a, a generally a less powerful signal than things that you watch for long periods well, of time. Actually, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so you, so yeah, that having the, the function of actual like hard pruning is really important mm -hmm. there because again, like, I, you know, these, I, it's, it's like, Another helpful analogy is like it's it's a little bit like a yeah a face uh, like you know do you guys watch aliens like those face huggers yeah <laughs> yeah you know they're like yeah like some of these algorithms especially when you're tired they just like right they're like on yeah. your face and you can't and you can't get off uh, when you're exhausted like for me specifically and I have I have uh, I have adult diagnosed ADHD probably mm -hmm. like a lot of people who have interacted with the internet and grown up with the internet <laughs> uh, and the when I'm in low low agency mode when I'm tired or hungry it's like Mm -hmm. no i'm it's i'm it, it beats me you know <laughs> and like so it, it actually like it 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 uh, you know it takes me it takes me like 30 minutes to three hours longer to get off of these um uh these these apps and these tools than it should other than it would otherwise so so um so it's important to 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 recognize uh, you know to to try to prune them aggressively so you you're less likely to fall into those uh those traps it's a very good point um so 
I feel like like the trajectory we're on right now, um, like we just look at at how the uh, the influence that the um, kind of the the shifting uh, general mood of the internet um, and social media has has kind of driven us towards. Like we've seen it uh, have a uh not overall great impact on on democracy and elections in multiple countries uh i think like i alluded to before we're seeing it have kind of a, a negative impact on uh social issues and and roll back the clock on those things do you foresee um this trend continuing and and to that effect um what can what can people do as individuals um you know, there's there's a lot of talk around media literacy, but maybe just like digital digital literacy. Like, I think having a better understanding of why we're seeing the things we're seeing. Um, what what do you think people can do to kind of like stop this this trend in its tracks and and maybe bring us back to the good old days of the internet where we could collectively get awesome shit done together? Yeah, yeah, great yeah. great question. Um, yeah, so to kind of project out into the future a little bit, I mean, I, I don't see, you know, you have these kind of three buckets, three buckets of, of solutions to what we're facing right now. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think the internet, I don't think social media specifically is going away. I think this is, thing is, you know, this these tools are just are increasingly uh, powerful and increasingly uh, influential in our life and our politics. Um, uh, I, I do think that we can, and like there's, you know, this this whole stuff with Elon recently is is pretty, pretty wild, right? The the fact that he, which stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. No, exactly. Truly, right? Yeah, no, it's hard to even keep up. Um, yeah, uh, but but you know, tw Twitter, which was you know this kind of go to place for journalists, has now been exploded into you know Mastodon, Blue Sky. There's like a thousand different Post News, a thousand different attempts at taking uh, some of that market share and becoming a the go-to location for uh, kind of sharing information. Um, yeah, so so I, I, just to, to, to speak about what we can do as individuals. So I, I think spending less time on social media, definitely important, right? We I can guarantee that you spend too much time on social media. And it doesn't matter who you are, but you probably spend too much time on social media. Um, and, you know, I mentioned regret before. I think regret is a really important emotion to recognize when you are uh, trying to figure out and kind of calibrate how much time you're spending on these tools, right? It's like, try turning it off for a week and coming back to it. Uh, and if you, when, when you come back to it, see how you feel after just being off it for a week. See, see what the kind of emotion that shows up in your body is, because it's likely going to be like calm, peace. It's going to be something that you're like, you're like, this is, oh, actually I have more time to do the things that I wanted to do. Right. There's going to be, a, there's going to be, so, so in general, these kind of, these kind of simple things of just trying to retract yourself a little bit from the outrage machine, I think is really important. Um, also, I just think that people don't recognize how much news plays a part in this because news gets news from Twitter and journalists are obsessed with Twitter, even though there's this crazy fragmentation that's happening right now. Uh, journalists get the context and the the hot take and the, the um, editorialization, the editorial angle. They, they figure out who is mad about what by using social media. Mm -hmm. And so you're, if you're, if you're, if you, if you're tracking, especially some of these kind of more partisan news outlets and even some traditional news outlets have become more partisan in recent years. Um, if you're if you're tracking and obsessed with the news and you're a news junkie and like I've struggled with that myself like I obsessively check the news sometimes through you know certain durations of of global events 
um, that's you're still plugged into the machine. Like you're still a part of the system. So, so I think having a limited diet of news is also really important. Like if it's a one, you know, one radio show, uh, a day or like one, you mm -hmm. know, one chunk of time that you're actually consuming news. It's also like, like, you know, spend a half an hour on it in the evening or in the morning or whatever it is, but just don't get too sucked into it. I think that's really, really important. Um, yeah. Like, it's um, same, it's the same system. Like what you're saying, like how, like social media used to just be like the news would show up in social media, but now it's like almost like social media is showing up in the news where it's like, you'll read like clickbait articles and it'll be like, this guy said this thing on Twitter. And you're like, that's the whole article. Or was he just had one tweet? Yeah. No, or it's like, yeah, stuff like that. Percent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's really hard because, um, you know, if, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually one of the reasons why it's such a wicked problem is, is like, if, if, you are asymmetrically if if people are asymmetrically outraged then they're mm -hmm. going to do things that are a asymmetrically bad right so it's like half the population oh, like is off twitter too. but half half the population is on twitter and they're extra angry about stuff and they're and they're being exposed to inordinate threats and they're being you know they're they're seeing constant threats to identity they're, they're they're you know a group they care about is being is being uh is being threatened and 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 uh you know um uh, there's there's hate speech and there's there's you know there's all these all these issues related to them. So if there's if there's asymmetrical half the population is outraged, half of it's not, then that half is going to take action and and kind of throw things out of balance and whack for the other half that is not outraged yeah. about. So there is this there is this is like one of these problems advised like this. It, uh, you know if we live in a society together, we we have desires to make the world better <laughs> collectively in our communities and, and yeah. outrages are really important for that right like we need mm -hmm. to uh agree upon the broken things in order to fix them and That's if we point. can't agree upon the broken things then uh then we fix number one we might fix the wrong thing and break mm -hmm. something else in the process um or or uh num number two we you know and this is like part of the democratic process, just in its fundamental nature. We we are, you know, we take outrages and we turn them into policy. Um, you know, we vote on people that actually try to solve those problems. And there's this kind of virtuous cycle of of fixing things that are broken. And um, that's that's something that the internet in its current form with social media has really thrown out of whack. It's thrown out of balance in a pretty big way. Okay. So um yeah, yeah, yeah. I got more, but <laughs> oh yeah, sorry, did I did I derail your three buckets no analogy okay oh yeah 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 so yeah because yeah, i kind of put it in, in anybody who's waiting for the third bucket yeah yeah yeah, change, yeah. So. so so uh so yeah so things individuals can do uh things that, that the platforms can do and the things that governments can do and um so so uh the the things that that platforms can do i think that that focusing on content moderation has been a mistake more than anything else. I think mm. that, that the types of content related issues that that come up when you have super, super intense, like fleets of content moderators out there that are responsible for, um, you know, basically kind of arbitrarily determining what is hate speech and what not what's not hate speech and kind of, you know, I, and not to say it's yeah. not an important job, it's a super important job, especially like mm -hmm. when there's a whole lot of toxic stuff on the internet. And these are you, are you familiar with the tragedy of the commons? Have you heard that before? Uh, no. Again, so basically, it's like I mean, you yes, have... I know, but explain it to anybody who <laughs> yeah, doesn't. So, of course, yeah. So basically, if you have uh, if you have a, like a, a common field that uh, that is available to everyone to graze their cattle in, right? Um, it's it's owned by the community writ large, the mm -hmm. public, right, writ large. Then um, there's no incentive uh, without 
there's basically the, the field will be overgrazed, right? The field will be, mm. will be overgrazed and it will become a shithole and a dust bowl and people won't be able to graze their cattle on it because it will be overgrazed by everyone in the community. Um, this is a classic problem in economics called the tragedy of the commons. Uh, social media is our commons now, right? It's like, we okay. actually, it's, there's, there's, it's basically a, like a collective um, asset, right? That we all as a collective, you know, wealth of this network that we have that is full of people doing bad things. And mm -hmm. we, it does require people to require certain individuals and algorithms. And there, it requires like a sewage system to get the shit out of it. <laughs> right. Um, um, and I'm just, I'm mixing metaphors here a little bit. It's like a city, but the sewage system, but, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but it does, it does require, it requires people to to help police it and help make it a better place but in general i think you can tilt the entirety of the system towards better content creation by um and there's a bunch of ways of doing this um like so the one click share was an example of like oh cool i'm i'm angry about something i'm going to share it off onto all of my friends like instantaneously everyone's angry about something it might not actually be a real thing but everyone's angry about it instantly right or it might be something that's missing context it might be something that's out of proportion it might be cherry picked um but instantly everyone everyone's angry about it if you remove that or if you limit the the, the number of people you can share with or if you give people a cooldown period before they can actually share, then that can dramatically improve the quality of the content that transits in the system, right? So focusing on these frictions, these like useful frictions to help yeah. slow things down. And so like, this was an intervention that I wrote about that was subsequently adopted in a couple of different places, uh, different social media companies. But like, if you're about to type something that includes like super nasty words, mm -hmm. um, um, don't like the algorithm not gonna censor you, but like maybe it gives you pause and says, hey, like, sounds like you might be a little angry. Like, yeah, yeah like on like Facebook, a, if you use like this thing's word, gonna post. Like, do you want to post this? <laughs> right? No, literally, yeah. literally that. Exactly. It's mm -hmm. like, are you? Do you want to post? And it, like, it can post it, and you can still post it. But it's like, it's asking your better self, right, to be <laughs> take a, take a minute and be like, is this yeah. gonna really improve? Just things? reflect a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that and that goes a real a really long way. Um, I think actually when you think about the scale of interventions like this, they mm -hmm. can dramatically uh, decrease these kind of these these uh, these moments of of uh, you know emotional contagion and outbursts and and things that are really uh, really harmful to us What's collectively. The program that let doesn't let you share to more than five people. Was that WhatsApp? WhatsApp. That yeah, that? That, that, oh, okay. yeah. 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 So that's no, like an example of that where it's like you can't share the same link with more than five people at once or something right five yeah, yeah. i think it was uh yeah five five people or five groups i'm, I'm forgetting what it was but it used to be up uh, you could just infinitely share to any number of people and any number mm -hmm. of groups and they and they throttled that because of the violence in myanmar oh yeah um, yeah so i mean it goes to show it's like and and this mm -hmm. is something i i just want to like maybe double click on this point real fast when we're just like really just make this yeah. point it's like we tend to think in, in a free society like the kind of Western world that we live in, we tend to think about about freedom of speech as being this this really critical and important thing, and it really is. Um, but misinformation and disinformation are actually like super, super, super toxic, and we don't we don't tend to think about we don't tend to see how problematic those things are. But like if you look at the history of some of the worst things that have happened in our species, um, like some of the worst injustices, some of the worst uh, kind of uh, um, you know ethnic slaughters and pogroms and terrible things that have happened huge portion of them come from misinformation a huge portion of like rumors of jews po poisoning wells right that mm -hmm. like led to like 
horrible, horrible stuff that comes from misinformation. And and uh, I, I think that's just really important to note that that um, that and like it breaks it breaks kind of the and it's okay to have a certain baseline of it. Like we have to have yeah. a certain baseline of it because you don't want any kind of authoritarian system telling us what we what we you know what we can and can't say ever. You yeah. don't want that. But but when when rumors take a life of their own and they become they become fact and then or they become conspiracies and then fact and then uh, I say quote unquote fact and people start believing them and like there's there's a whole whole problem. It really does backslide us um democratically and uh and uh you know i think ethically in the world when we mm -hmm. when there's too much disinformation misinformation so uh so i i say that with like a big you know kind of nod to the free speech free speech folks who believe that that you know we just need to have zero restrictions on speech whatsoever um but but we do require um there, there needs to be a baseline of kind of shared facts uh in order to yeah. cohabit cohabitate and coordinate above a certain level right and i think that's one of the things we're seeing right now is that is that like the national level is really struggling um mm -hmm. and we're kind of collapsing down to these more like state level um and city level <laughs> uh, coordination mechanisms because there's there's it's it's getting harder to share narratives and share uh share facts yeah it's so, almost hit a point. anyway so yeah yeah right, we're right. like Truth is is completely subjective now, right? Like depending on who you're yeah. talking to, or like or facts. Um, even we saw, uh, you know, there used to be these these mechanisms for just fact checking on the internet, like Snopes or or whatever. Right. And uh, I think during COVID, there were there were people debunking Snopes to the point where I think like those things lost legitimacy legitimacy in the eyes of yeah. a lot of people. And now you're just like, okay, where? Where where do I turn to to yeah, uh because yeah. I I think the other thing is that um people are inherently I don't want to say lazy but they want they want uh an answer quickly right like they're not willing to wade in and do the research on every single thing that's coming across their new feed news feed or coming across their uh their Twitter timeline to establish whether it is like true before they react to it right so right. um what what do you think like what are some of the things we can do at, at the personal or tech level to uh yeah. to clamp down on, on misinformation that. yeah 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 so some yeah personal heuristics that i think are helpful is just recognizing that like if there is something that you see on the internet that makes you extremely angry that makes you want to share it immediately uh like just wait <laughs> just like wait wait <laughs> yeah. just wait a little while because you're gonna you're gonna find out the the reality of it uh you know like there's a saying in journalism uh uh so everyone's trying to be first in journalism right like everyone's trying to get the, the scoop everyone's trying to get the story but um uh, uh there's a saying in journalism that you're not first if you're wrong right you're not oh, you're, you're actually yeah. you're not you know you're not getting the scoop if you actually scoop the wrong thing you know if you actually mm -hmm. said the wrong thing um and uh, and yeah, so I, I, it's I think it's really important to just to just take a take a breath um, and and just assume like it, it's not your job to uh, to 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 share on this this information with the world until like you know until it's completely corroborated, which like can be hard for sure. But mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's like it's not your job to um, to pass the stuff stuff on necessarily if it's uh, if it's uh, if it's super emotionally arresting because that's the stuff that tends to be out of context. That's stuff that tends to be untrue um, or or um, out of proportion a lot of the time. Um, yeah, so so I think that's that's a really important piece to it. Um, you know, there's there's just one 
there's something I think that that is really important here, which is I, which you you touched on in the beginning when we were talking about it's like the weekly world news is taking control of our you yeah. know our internet news mm-hmm. uh, algorithm. Um, you know, if you blur your eyes, um, social media companies and newspapers are actually not that different. They're actually like very mm-hmm. very similar enterprises. That like like if you blur your eyes, it's like you look at it. It's like social media is. Um, it's a thing that you, you know, uh, that people go out and they find a story or they have a, they have a thought or an opinion or a feeling and they put it out there and, and then an editor or an algorithm in like in the case of social media algorithm an editor in the case of newspaper puts it into a feed, which was the newspaper or in your feed, which is your actual news feed today. Um, and it goes out to people in your community or wider network. Right. And that, that is like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I just, so I wanted to touch on like I like to compare social media and stuff to print journalism a lot too because it's like mm-hmm. like you said before that ju- print journalism has gone basically like through 200 years of evolution and it's yep. where we're at and one thing people don't realize that if you put something in a newspaper there's a lot more nanny kind of stuff you have to do like you can't just totally. put an ad there's, there's fact checking right yeah. and like yeah. and uh, yeah. libel laws and yeah uh, exactly <laughs> And even like advertorials where you get someone writes an ad based article for a company, like there's rules, like you can't have it in the same font as the newspaper and it has to right. say advertisement right. at the top. Totally. So it has, yeah. it's basically like old people proofing the newspaper so that they don't get tricked by thinking that right. this advertorial is an advertisement where the social media doesn't really have that yet. Like they're getting there and they're getting certain yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Tobias, I, I, the, I was gonna say in the, in the book you referenced the uh, the USA Today uh, sweet tooth cover, right? Where yeah. you know that that line was blurred a, a little bit in, oh, yeah. uh, in print media as well. Yeah, because because the bottom has fallen out of the traditional news industry, right? It's like that's <laughs> that's the that's the the scary thing is that is that as uh, as the internet has taken more and as social media has won our attention more and more, uh, traditional journalism, and this is why people are like kind of throwing up their hands in a big way, um, traditional journalism is starting to kind of resemble, you know, tabloid journalism also in its own strange way, uh, which is, which is, you know, I, I want to qualify, like journalism is different. Like it is actually fundamentally different. And there are rules that are, that have been put in place. It's like a, a very creaky institution, but it's an institution that mm-hmm. has been in place uh for a long time you know you 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 get sources right you the, the newsroom and the uh the editorials uh, the op-eds are very different right like you there's straight news and there's editorial and those things are actually really fundamentally different most people don't know that that like they're actually not even the same room in a, in a newsroom like they're not even the same the same part of, they're like you can't you can't have the journalists uh, talking to the uh, editorial people in the same in the same like they're not it's not the same kind of body of uh, of implementation there so um, yeah so journalists and straight news are actually exclusively focused on what happened right corroborating what happened um, mm-hmm. and verifying it just making sure it's like this thing actually happened this is what happened this is it like this is the thing it happened um, and like some curation as well like identifying what stuff is important versus not important and while the you know the editorial uh bent is like this is my opinion about it this is like this is what is you know this is what this is why it matters this is what makes me angry about it. this is the analysis about it and those are actually fundamental different things uh in a newspaper and we 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 haven't gotten that memo i think when it comes to you know uh, the difference between those things on social media certainly social media Um, yeah yeah definitely 
So I, I do think, honestly, and just to talk about, to be slightly hopeful for a second here, I think we're starting to see, <laughs> we're starting to see some uh, kind of reflections of this stuff, mm -hmm. uh, of of verification tools that are starting to come up um, and crop up in social media. Um, you know, like there's uh, there's what used to be called Birdwatch, which is now called Community Notes on Twitter, which is basically a tool that allows for the broader community to add context to tweets that are maybe taken out of context or that are lies, right? That are lies mm. or, or inaccuracies. And and so it's the, you know, I think Community Notes has, has they've noted Elon before, they've noted Biden yeah, before. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and um, and they, they're like, this is actually maybe not a completely accurate statement. This is what it really is. And that's what it is. It's like basically a, you know, a little paragraph talking about what the you know what the reality is of the situation and that is a mediator that actually acts, acts as a media acts as a mediator in this critical function of making sure that you're uh you're you're seeing good information and that's you know that's a really important piece that's missing from social media's current form mm -hmm. i'll say this like with maybe one more like analogy which i think is a little bit helpful which is like when things meet the internet they generally get better right mm. there used to be this yeah. industry that we had like people that would literally spend their entire lives going around and trying to figure out like a handful of facts about something, right? They would go out and they would like search down like the name of five tropical birds and make sure they knew what those birds look like. And like they would, they would, and then these people would get together and they were employed by a single employer and they, this publisher would come back and they put together this thing called an encyclopedia and people would like, go out and buy a single set of encyclopedia one time for their family. And you have this like giant row of books in your house. There's an encyclopedia. And that was where you went for the facts, right? That was like where you went for the information about the world. When encyclopedias met the internet, we got Wikipedia, right? Mm -hmm. We got this incredible tool that is like millions of times the size and just as accurate. Um, and studies show it's actually just as accurate as traditional encyclopedia. And it met the internet and became great. It was like amazing. This is an incredible tool for everyone. It's free also. It's great. Uh, similarly, if you wanted to, if you had a question about something that was related to research, historically, you had to go to library and talk to a librarian, do the Dewey Decimal System and go through this whole process of like trying to find the right book, go to the aisle and like, oh, is it this book? Is it this book? And you get all these books, you go home, you read all of them, you find a thing. When libraries with the internet, ostensibly we got Google, which is like this yeah. important system of, of cited and verified page ranked information that we can get instantaneous uh, information from right right away, which is great. Uh, answer our questions instantly. When newspapers met the internet, uh, we got nothing, right? We got like, <laughs> we got terrible, we got terrible news, right? Uh, yeah. But ostensibly, like, what? And when, when social media came along, we're like, oh no, social media is this whole—it's this whole new invention. It's this incredible new thing, right? It's like it's like Mark, Mark Zuckerberg invented social media. It's incredible. It's amazing. But what happened was that handoff—that handoff that happened in that kind of that relay race that you know when it's from encyclopedias to Wikipedia, from libraries to Google, uh, from newspapers to social media didn't happen because the values of newspapers and the, the rules of verification of corroboration of making sure that there's like proper citation in the things that you that are being spread um that the rules did not transition with the tool and instead we have this like kind of cacophony of garbage and emotional outrage and just this this you know this crazy explosion of of uh mis disinformation that is such a such a problem collectively and we're suffering as a result that's funny. Um, so, yeah. it's like if with libraries, like the way you're thinking, you're talking about it, how it's like the books went onto the internet and stuff. 
it would be like if you went reverse, it would be like the libraries would be like, you can look at this book, but you have to look at this ad first. So and then you're like, well, then how did the libraries get funded? And it's like, well, they're government funded. They were like public works. So it's almost like where do you think there's an area for like maybe a publicly funded social media? Like if the government like we're in Canada, I don't know if that came up yet. So we have a lot more publicly funded like media yeah. and news and stuff like we have cbc and stuff which i guess would yeah. be the equivalent of your pbs but is there do you think like room for a pbs style social media yeah i i i certainly think so uh i, I think there's a space i think there's space for it i mean i will say that like mm -hmm. running social media companies is hard building social media is is pretty hard it's like not easy not an easy thing to to do well a lot yeah. of people do it but it's hard it's hard to do it well that being said, you know, uh, the BBC, CBC, I believe, NPR, I know, is uh, also funded and subsidized by advertising, right? Yeah, um, you true. still, I mean, maybe you can tell me uh, otherwise, but but they're still they're still subsidized by these tools, <laughs> right? So, um, or by these by these uh, by this service, it doesn't. And there's there are strict rules in place for doing that, but it's, it's still a piece of the puzzle. You know, NPR, I think, just <laughs> laid off ten percent of its workforce. Uh, you know, a few months back. And because the reason they cited was because their advertising declined. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so it, and if you look at the history of news, advertising has been one of the best kind of, I say best, best, best is a qualified best, but like one of the biggest uh, subsidizers of information for us historically. So, mm -hmm. so it just needs good structures and rules in place to make sure that we are not blurring those lines, you know, that you're like not getting the you know, uh, the, the, you know, the snake oil along with the, along with your morning news, you know, that, uh, mm -hmm. you're actually, you know, there's that you're getting something that's verified and that, um, that there's not, it's not, it's not too, too creepy. And I think there, there is a, there's a good balance there. There's a possible balance there that I do think the public, you know, I'm, I'm very open to a publicly funded social media. I think that'd be amazing if we could figure out yeah. how to do it. Okay. Um, Tobias, this has been fascinating. Like I said, the book is incredible. I would definitely recommend everyone go and pick it up. It is called the Outrage Machine, and it releases in July. Is that yeah, correct? July 11th. Yeah. July 11th. Um, yeah. One that's one last the, question. Sorry, that's the same day that the audiobook comes out too, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So oh, on Audible. Do you do you do you narrate the audiobook? Uh, I, I I narrate selections from it. Okay. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I have to say that was a yeah. It's a, I, can, I can tell you about the whole process of of reading what you have written. Yeah. Uh, it is it is a whole strange experience to do to do that. And sit in the studio for you know for twelve hours and look at your own words and think how did I write this? How did, yeah, yeah, going back and trying to make edits on the fly to the uh, exactly, the, the exactly. Yeah, you know uh, you guys know how to yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm going to ask you what do you wish more people were out raged about or what do you feel is like a righteous thing to be outraged about right now mm -hmm. rather than just mm -hmm. uh reacting to something yeah that's a great question uh yeah it's a that's a really i think that's a great and like deep deep question in a lot of ways you know i uh just to bring it back to the beginning of this podcast i i was a pretty righteous kid and i was pretty outraged about stuff a lot when i was younger um i, I think that the uh this particular struggle that we're facing right now um is like the struggle for kind of our minds uh at, on the internet right or this kind of the, our free will to some degree also mm -hmm. on the internet i think this is the most important issue of our time 
And uh, and I say that because you know we're we're about to enter like we're about to enter into this this new era of uh, kind of confusion um, as a result of large language models and uh, the the ability to totally imitate humans, uh, you know, to defake entire you know uh, scenarios and uh, public events and it's like things are going to get really weird. And uh, if we don't put a good system of, I think, verification in place, if we don't take some of these same principles that we've learned over the course of the last 100 years um, and deploy them across our social media, I think that we're going to be in a much more confused, much more undemocratic, much more dangerous, much more threatened, much more uh, 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 much worse, much worse place uh, if we don't if we don't figure out how to land this plane. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think this this particular issue of of, of mis disinformation, making sure that our tools are are, um, are are working for us and not against us, is uh, is the most important issue of the moment. Yeah, I think that's the the scariest yeah. thing of all is that the creating creating highly believable disinformation is about to get a whole lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. like that's. Yeah. That's something I think uh, ev everyone needs to be aware of and uh, and looking out for. Yeah. Um, Tobias, yeah. can't thank you enough for for taking the time to chat with us today. Uh, we appreciate it. Like I said, go pick up the book, uh, share it. You know, if you have friends out there on uh, Facebook or Twitter who are sharing conspiracy theories or getting mad about stuff all the time, make sure you buy them a copy as well. Uh, Does that thank mean you're you buying me a copy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would if I thought you knew how to read. Am uh, I the conspiracy <laughs> friend? Well, you already know I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to yeah. listen to it later. <laughs> I'll get I'll, I'll get you the audio book. Uh, thanks for joining us for this episode of Outrage Factory. Uh, I have been your co-host, Derek Bolin. You can no, no longer follow me on Twitter because uh, – oh, wait, Tobias, do you want to share your, your social media? Can people connect, connect <laughs> yeah. with you anywhere? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm at Tobias rose in most places uh and if you if you do follow me like i i, I post it regularly but when i do post i will uh gently remind you to uh reduce your time on social media and or give you uh uh good uh, uh tips and tricks for uh, reducing your uh your outrages and the things that are uh, upsetting you online there you go a, don't a worry i'll follow, follow you. you and share all those conspiracy <laughs> links with you too awesome awesome uh cool. dale you want to i just wanted to say this has been great, Tobias. I feel like my IQ went up 10 degrees or 10 points. <laughs> it's not often where you have a guest where you're like, I feel smarter now. And this is, I'm just beaming. I loved it. It was great. Thank you for sharing your insight on all these topics and getting personal with your story about the dam and stuff. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to come back, you're welcome to, or just, and I'll follow you online and then you can see me and then you can like ignore my conspiracy theory links or whatever, but I'll be there. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Paul. This is awesome. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, if you get a link from at SuperdaleBot on Twitter, that's me at outrage fact pod is the actual podcast Twitter. We don't tweet too much. It's more of just uh here's the next episode and stuff. And then uh, yeah. Gmail, you can send us an email, outragefactpod at gmail. If you have any feedback you want to give us, uh, just search us on YouTube, Outrage Factory. If you're Please. listening to this. Yeah, if 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 you're listening to this and you want to uh to tell us what you thought about the episode, please rate and review. Uh and until next week, stay angry. Mm -hmm.